Time to talk uh, Hong Kong racing, a stunning uh, week of racing up there, and also a little bit of tennis uh, with uh, Leo Schlink. Morning, Leo. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Andrew. How are you? Oh, fighting fit, thanks. And uh, look, she's retired, uh, but uh, <laughs> there's just uh, the tail end of her career keeps uh, sort of uh, bringing forward awards. So perhaps one of the last ones Ash will get now that she has been retired since the Australian Open is the Newcomb medal winner last night. Any surprises there? Um, no, uh, number five for her, um, a big field, uh, a finalist, but, um, again, she was the, the standout, even though, uh, Nick Kyrgios, um, had the run to the Wimbledon final and also won, uh, the Australian doubles with Tanasi Kokonakis. But for me, uh, Ash was far and away the, uh, major contender. And so it proved, uh, that's the fifth time that she's won that award either individually or jointly and, uh, well deserved. I mean, when you consider that, um, the way that she went out, uh, she played 15 matches in 2022, uh, singles and doubles, and won all of them, um, and uh, ended a 44-year drought in the process at the Australian Open. Um, so, so well deserved. Just a fantastic performance, and um, yeah, um, not sure how many more awards are in the uh, in the cupboard, but uh, who knows? We saw at the Australian Open, Leo, when she won, that she was presented the uh, the award by Yvonne Gulagong Corley. And that sort of blew Ash away. She didn't even know she was there. And last night, the roles were reserved because the spirit of tennis was given to Yvonne and it was Ash that presented the award to her. Yeah, it was a lovely touch by Tennis Australia and um, Ash would have loved that, uh, getting one back on her uh, her inspiration. And um, just great to see Yvonne looking so well and enjoying herself and uh, those two together. Um, and we know how much work that um, Ash is putting in to um, helping um, Indigenous Australians uh, find a pathway in tennis, and um, we've been so blessed in, in our lifetime to have, um, you know, in the tennis community at least, to see two great athletes who get along so well. And uh, you just saw last night the warmth between the two is fantastic. And uh, Leo, uh, the you know report card for the year's tennis uh, for the Australians. I mean, obviously finalists of the Billie Jean Cup and uh, the Davis Cup. I mean, that's. Uh, Great news, uh, Kyrgios uh, getting his way through to the final of Wimbledon, Ash Barty winning uh, the Australian Open. That'll obviously leave an enormous hole now. She is gone, but how would you sum up the year for the Australian tennis? And if there was somewhere that we were to keep our beady eye on for next year, who would it be? Yeah, it's just a fantastic year for Australian tennis. And you look at the, the spread of finalists in, in the Newcomb medal, and that, that tells you um, everything. Kyrgios went from 93 in the rankings to 22. Alex Dimonor had a solid year. Matt Ebden... Um, he was in there with Max Purcell. Um, Storm Hunter had a fabulous year um, in doubles also, and also in, in Fed Cup. And the, as you say, the performance in, in Davis Cup uh, was enormous. It, I, there's probably lots of different areas where we might get surprised in 2023. And the one player that I've always had tremendous faith in, um, and he's still only young, and he's one of the very few Australians ever to have won the French Open singles in uh, juniors, is Alex Popperin. I'd mm. I, I love to see him come through and, and deliver on what he's got because to me he's as good as some of the younger guys like um uh, Azure Elisami from Canada and others around the place who have been so effective this year but um yeah just look at some of the juniors coming through that we've got and um there's some very good uh, talent there and it's just going to be a matter of opportunity now and it's 
you don't really know until they get thrown out there internationally, truly internationally, to see how they're going to go. And, um, you know, just looking at some of the improvements in rankings across um, the world this year, and you see guys like um, Ben Shelton, uh, an American player, jump from 568 to 97. Jack Draper, the young British guy, uh, jumps from, like, 260 to, to 42. And Carlos Alcaraz went from 34 to number one in a year. Um, Caroline Garcia... Injuries. She was 74 now. She's in this, uh, into four. And of course, Darius uh, Seville, one of the big improvers outside the f- uh, top 453, goes to show that things can happen really quickly yeah. if if everything lines up. And Tanasi Kokonakis could be another one as well. And we one player that we haven't talked about um, also this year had a tremendous year was Ilya Tomlanovich. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of all of those things can keep on going, and we get a, a massive numbers. Something good will happen. Australian tennis has this habit of throwing up generational players if we have a critical mass, and I think it's going to take a huge effort to for someone to step in and succeed Ash Barty, but, yeah. it, but it can happen. Ayla Tomlanovich, Leo, you mentioned her name there. I see her world ranking is now 33, so a withdrawal from the Australian Open from someone above her. She will be a seeded player, and that's what she was looking forward to. Yeah, and deserves it. Um, it's been so consistent and um, really worked hard to get herself back from injury as well. And um, given given what happens uh, in tennis, the nature of sport, something will happen, unfortunately, to someone else um, above. And um, chances are that she'll she'll slot in there. And um, the entry has closed um, for the Australian Open. Another reminder that it's just around the corner. But um, yeah, a lot of things can happen between now and the middle of January. There's a question without notice. You mightn't be aware of it, uh, Leo, but you mentioned Alex Popper. I mean, where does he sort of basically train? Is he based here in Australia or overseas? Who's his coach? Who's, who's around him? He he works um, pretty much out of France. He lives in Spain, yeah. um, but he, he's got his own coach, has had for quite a while. Um, he was going to the Moritogalu Academy for a while, um, along with basically everyone else, yeah. um, and uh which is great for his training and everything else but um he's been with the same coach for a while i would say that um taking different factors that he'd be he'd give uh, 2022 a pass um probably not the year that he wanted but 2023 is going to be a huge season for him in terms of his overall development leo uh, as far as the, the markets are concerned for the australian open well Novak Djokovic still retains favouritism at $2.10. We, we found out last week that he's going to uh, go to Adelaide before the Australian Open, so that's good news for all the fans Fantastic. in South Australia. Yeah. And Carlos Alcaraz, $5. Daniel Medvedev, 6 Nick Kyrgios, 8 And Ruffin is at $11. Yeah, it's... Um, Djokovic is a bit of a, a throwback there because uh, early doors, he, he used to love going to Adelaide and... Um, very much showed the uh, entertainer side of his character one day during a rain break when he got out on the old Memorial Drive when there was still a grass court there in the fringes and um, he uh, started chipping a golf ball around and then yeah. he started singing and uh, telling jokes and uh, it was it was a real um, revelation in terms of the person that people thought he was and the person he actually was. So um, he he's very familiar with Adelaide and um, he's been back there more recently, of course, but um, now that'll be a great lead into him. For him, and um, it's a great couple of weeks in Adelaide, um, the ATP and WTA events there. So um, to have Novak going there, that's a real coup. It just doesn't come easily to mind, uh, Novak, uh, as a joke teller, <laughs> does it? Any good Serbian jokes yeah. you can remember, Leo? 
Not off the top, <laughs> but the imitations were uh, the the Sharapova imitation okay. is one for the ages. That's uh, that's well worth it. There's heaps of YouTube on that, and uh, it was that good that even Maria thought it was funny. So that's how good it was. But yeah, I remember uh, we tried to work out why he wasn't so popular because there's been times where we've seen him. Uh, doing TV commercials here in Australia with Craig Tiley, and he's he's really played his part, hasn't he? Yeah, he's uh, he's he's very natural at it, and he uh, he just loves the attention. I think probably the thing that has really gone against him over the years is the era that he's grown up in, uh, in terms mm. of who's out there. And um, you see Roger Federer, um, you know, he get challenged going through um, you know passport or not passports so security checkpoints at um, the Australian Open, just the way he reacts and. Uh, you, you got uh, Rafa down there as well, and um, and then there's Novak who came across always as slightly awkward. But um, yeah, there's a there's a lot more to him. But having said that, um, believe it or not, uh, Ivan Lendl and Andy Murray together, it's like a comedy act, and you would never pick that if you saw oh. them based on the way they played tennis. Wow, that's interesting behind the scenes uh, knowledge of uh, those uh, gentlemen. That's uh, fascinating. Did you uh, see uh, Roger Federer uh, the other day? With he went back mm. to visit Wimbledon, and uh, <laughs> the lady on security, obviously, like Wimbledon security, is famous for for that kind of thing. And um, and we saw again a fantastic example of Roger's patience. It is incredible, isn't it? I mean, uh, I mean, he's got to be one of the most recognisable figures around the world. <laughs> and at Wimbledon, you'd think even the security person would go, Rog, straight oh. through, sir. Yeah. Absolutely. Of all places. Of all places. I, I, I swear when they had the, um, the ceremony at Wimbledon this year and had everyone walk out that there's no doubt that the most popular player by far who out on that court that day with all the greats that were there was Roger Federer, mm. um, just by judging on uh, crowd reaction. Leo, uh, we better turn our attention to racing. It was a massive day, the biggest day of the year in Hong Kong on Sunday, and there were a couple of Aussies that were superstars on the day. There certainly were. Um, Damien Lane uh, set the standard high very early with his uh, his win on uh, Win Marilyn, and um, the connection he's forming with Japanese trainers um, it's just uh, it's been incredible for him, uh, incredibly fruitful. Um, and then it just seemed to roll from there. Um, Zach Purton uh, on uh, on California Spangle as well. Um, and then uh, we've got Australian-based James McDonald um, on Romantic Warrior. And uh, I guess if you go back and looking for an Australian connection um, in in the sprint, Wellington is Australian bred. So uh, and that was a triumph for Australian breeding in the uh, the Hong Kong sprint. The first four home were trained out of Hong Kong and. Um, and you look at um, California Spangle, he's by Star Spangled Banner. So all around, it was a fantastic day for Australia. But um, yeah, the jockeys they they were magnificent. And um, you know, with Ryan Moore, it just showed how tough it was to ride a, a Group One winner out there on Sunday. What was the highlight for you, uh, uh, Leo? Was it Romantic Warrior or the uh, California Spangled Golden Sixty uh, Stoush? Yeah, it was it was hard to separate those two. I, I think in terms of pure performance, um, the ride of uh, Zach Purton to adapt with what happened mid-race when Beauty Joy went around and sort of disrupted the race and the way that he just went, as Tony Cruz said, with the flow um, and adapted and still got the job done. It was a, it was a huge run by uh, Golden 60 again in terms of his sectionals and how much uh, ground he gave up and made up. Um, and then for me, in terms of pure performance, to think that... Um, Romantic Warrior, uh, about this time last year, uh, had only just started his racing career as a 52 rater, um, mm. and now he's up to 130. He's had 10 starts since he 
began his career in Hong Kong. He's won nine and he got caught four wide in the other one. Um, probably should be unbeaten and um, there's a lot of people right now who believe he's the um, potentially the best 2,000 metre horse in the world. Mm. And Law of Indus, he's the only Aussie horse really there. Uh, didn't disappoint her either. Actually surprised her. Huge run for Annabelle and James. Um, what that horse did for his, uh, some of his Hong Kong based owners was, was a huge thrill. And, um, he was very much the forgotten horse in the race with the Japanese there. The two Hong Kong horses, um, were head and shoulder favorites, but he, he loomed. And I thought, wow, um, you know, he's, he's only just been knocked out of second place, uh, less than a length by Golden 60. That puts him into context. And, um, what a career he's had already. Um, you know, he's, been basically all over the world, a Group 1 winner in France, raced in Australia, and he's uh, had a fantastic run uh, at Sha Tin. Uh, do you think there's some owners and trainers in Hong Kong that would like to prize James McDonald away for Australia and have him relocate there? Oh, there's no doubt. Um, he uh, His performances on Romantic Warrior and just the way that he carries himself, um, I think there's huge interest in him, and um, I think um, similarly... With, uh, with Jamie Carr. She rode a winner on uh, the International Jockeys Championship night and um, made a good impression. Um, I think there's, you know, there's the, uh, the jockey club is always looking at the jockey pool and, and ways to ensure that it stays at a, a certain standard. And, um, you know, with Hugh Bowman arriving recently, um, and then you see um, James McDonald on IJC night, you just saw the lift of intensity um, and how competitive it was. And, um, just the, the minor things that happen in, in races, just those tiny things that make such a huge difference. And, um, you know, we, we saw the result. It was a tie uh, with Sylvester D'Souza and Tom Marcon, but um, James McDonald, Jamie Carr and all the Aussies involved all rode really well. And, Leo, that's a list of jockeys obviously going over to Hong Kong, but one departing Joe Marrero, just a, a snapshot of his influence on Hong Kong racing over the journey. Uh, it's been massive. Um, he's, he's been in Hong Kong, I think, uh, for nine nine seasons, um, and he's had little times away, but ridden over 1,200 winners um, and holds the record for the most winners in a season, 170 off 88 meetings. Um, that's just incredible consistency, and uh, Zach Purton's having a season uh, just totally um, off the charts this year. He's on track to beat that record. That tells you how good Joe Marrero is, and... Um, incredible horseman, uh, but also a personality who was able to promote racing way beyond its normal boundaries. And you saw the, the farewell that he got at the weekend and how much it meant to him. And um, just hope that um, he can have the farewell around the world that he, he's so craving. If he can get to Australia, Japan, England and, and ride there. Um, he was very unlucky on the weekend. The last two rides he had, he, he got seconds. Mm. But yeah, he's just been a, a huge influence on Hong Kong racing and uh, someone who will be missed. Leo, this will be the final time we chat to you this year. You'll be back with us in, in 2024. But I've got to say, on behalf of the, all the team here and our listeners, we love having you on the show. And it's been, I don't know, it must be 15 to 20 years that you've joined us from all over the world. It's always a pleasure, mate. And we're going to wish you a happy Christmas and can't wait to have you back in 2024. 2023. Can't get ahead of myself, Andrew. <laughs> no, that, look, that, that's fantastic, Paul. I really appreciate that. It's, it's a pleasure to be on. Um, love participating and uh, really looking forward to 2023. And to everyone, have a great Christmas and a happy new year. Thanks, Leo. There he is, Leo Schlink, joining us to have a look at Hong Kong racing and tennis as well.